thank you for joining season two, episode six, the last episode of iMOOC Live for the season. Uh, we are really excited that uh, Kitty Martin and myself will be welcome, welcoming Joe Sanfilippo and Tony Sananas, two amazing leaders. Uh, we talk about a little bit about their books, some of their leadership styles. Uh, we dive a little bit to the, the final chapters of the Innovator's Mindset, and then we take your questions and say goodbye. Uh, thank you for joining the season. This has been an incredible experience for myself. Uh, I really appreciate you all. Uh, hope you enjoy this. Continue to change the world, everyone. Hey, everyone. This is the last episode of iMoo. Playing a little boys to men. End of the road. Joe Filippo. Bananas. Katie Martin, last iMOOC episode. Just want to thank everyone for joining us tonight. <laughs> that was a special request by Joe Sanfilippo, but we'll let him speak a little bit. Um, we, uh, you can't talk and then you play that? Forget <laughs> it. I'm talking, man. No way. We, uh, we are excited that you're able to join us. This is the last episode of um, iMOOC Live. I really want to thank everybody for uh, participating. I am in a hotel, so hopefully our Wi-Fi holds up, but uh, even if not, we have uh, two amazing guests tonight. Both I could call very good friends of mine, um, and uh, obviously Katie Martin will be uh, hosting as well. Uh, so we just really want to thank you for participating. We still have one more uh, chat happening this week. That will be run by uh, Katie Martin and, and Tara Martin. Uh, no relation, but both awesome. And so uh, we have some awesome guests, but I'm going to turn it over to Katie. Thank you again for joining us. All right. Welcome, everybody. We're excited for a great uh, conversation tonight. We have Joe and Tony, who are the authors of Hacking Leadership and also great district leaders themselves. And so we're excited to learn a little bit more about what they do and hear about the book and then talk about the innovator's mindset and kind of the conclusion and moving forward, what we can do to continue to innovate and work together in our districts to inspire change. So I'm going to start with Joe. Will you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Well, thanks so much for having us tonight. We, uh, we really appreciate it and uh, hope we have a great conversation. My name is Joe Sanfilippo. I am the superintendent in the Fall Creek School District, home of the Fall Creek Crickets. Go Crickets! And I'm really excited to be here. This is my seventh year in the district as a district leader and just uh, hoping to contribute. Stop making that face, George. <laughs> I see you making that face, George. Stop making that face. Ross Cooper is uh, messaging, and he's so excited. He's so excited. <laughs> of course he is. He wishes he could be here. Yeah. Of course he is. Yeah. He's here. I'm surprised he's not looking over Tony's shoulder right now. <laughs> <laughs> he might be. Don't open that closet door. That's me. That's me. I'm excited about everybody else but me. Ross. Oh, right, Ross. That's messed up, Ross. That is messed up. <laughs> Big demerits for you, my friend. All done. Come on. <laughs> can, we, can we get one thing clear, though, and make sure that we're on the same page here when we talk about this? And I know, Katie, you're going to ask Tony for his, you know, his background. That could take us to 8 o'clock. So let's make sure that, like, could you time that for Normal me, please? time zones, it's already 8 o'clock, Joe, but where you're oh, from. Whatever you need to know, Tony, go ahead. That's great. All right, go to the first question. George, just go to the first question. All right, Tony, you're up. Hi, my name is Tony. <laughs> and I am assistant superintendent for curriculum and instruction in the Plain Edge School District on Long Island in New York. And it's my first year in that position. 
All right. Land speed so, record. <laughs> so we're excited to talk about the book a little bit, and we want to know a little bit more about hacking leadership. So tell us a little bit about your goal and what you guys hope to um, inspire readers by through your book. So one of the things, yeah, one of the things that we talked about when Tony and I were actually talking about putting this together, um, and we were we were lucky enough to work with Mark Barnes and putting hacking leadership together. We had a thought for what the book, what we wanted the book to look like, and just really helping leaders do things in a different way. And uh, one thing that was really important to us is there's a lot of philosophy and research behind the reason why people do things, but then not a lot, not a lot of times do we get into the actual like. Let's, let's just start doing something tomorrow. Let's do something different. And then how do we, uh, you know, work with people that, you know, or how we deal with people that aren't really on board right away with what we want to do, but we still want to move things forward. So we're trying to give practical application to what we were doing in, in ways that people could start, like, finding momentum in that, uh, in that change process right away. Yeah, I, I think ultimately it was about um, taking the experiences we had along with sort of crowdsourcing a bunch of other experiences that, that people had shared through through the PLN or, you know, even in our physical context and, and try to capture them in a way that made them accessible to everyone, no matter what their, their skill set, no matter what their level of experience or years of experience, um, and, and, to, and to show from different lenses. Like, here, these are the things that we do, and this is how we handle pushback, um, and, and this is what we try next, and this is what we do, you know, tomorrow and that kind of thing. So it was really just kind of looking at it from, from multiple lenses. Um, and One of the reasons I asked uh, Joe and Tony to join, and this would actually be a common thread with all, all the guests that we've had, and I've got so many compliments on people that we've had join, is uh, these both these guys are actually quite visionary in the work that they do, but they work extremely hard. And um, I've had arguments with all three of these people that we're talking with tonight and we we always like the focus is always the same but it's you know talking about those things to get there and i think that um they really all model their learning um i, I actually have known tony for a while uh, joe can you talk uh, about uh, some of the things that you shared in your i, I just saw joe uh, keynote the other night and he was fantastic and can you share some of the the, can you share a story about kind of talking about with your staff um, before the book went out? Oh yeah. So one of the things that was really important to to us when we started when we were looking at the book, both of us uh, was that we wanted to make sure that that the work that we were doing was actually the work that we were doing, or the work that we were putting in the book was actually the work that we were doing. Because I think the last thing both of us wanted to do was uh, have people in our spaces talk, well, that's, you know, that's awesome for a book, but that's not really what it's like around here. And so we gave the book to uh, some staff members and said, will you please read this? And, um, and when you read it, like, if there's anything in this book that's not right, that we're not doing, then please let us know because we won't print it. And, you know, there's been a lot of really great um, reviews on Amazon for the book. And I, and I thank everybody that, and we both thank everybody that, that's written a review. Um, but the two best reviews for me came from staff members mm -hmm. and they said like, this is, this is our school. And one of the teachers actually came in a seventh grade science, a seventh grade English teacher came into my office after she read it. And she could, you could tell she was just kind of really excited about it. She just looked at me. She said, this is our school. Like this is our, this is our school. Not like this is your school. Not this is the school. Not this is fall Creek. This is our school. And that really meant a lot to me. That one word changed the whole process for me because it was ours. Like she, 
felt like she was part of it. And I feel like I'm part of it. And we want kids to feel like it and parents to feel like it. So this is like we're Fall Creek, Wisconsin. There's 1,300 people in this place, right? There's 800 kids in the school. There's three bars in town. There's, you know, two gas stations, one water tower, one school. That's it. So we are, this is our place. Like this is the hub of everything that happens in this place. And I couldn't be more proud to, to share that story, but I didn't want to share a story that wasn't real. And Tony felt the same way. That's actually a lot of bars. <laughs> yeah. It's really not the Wisconsin man. <laughs> hey, do you know the level of alcohol? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, and tony like can you can you connect because I, I i think that when you had wrote wrote that most of your experience was actually i can't uh, even. when you're a principal yep. you want to hear some of the stories from your school no i, I think absolutely you know to, to kind of echo what joe is saying like i think what we both realized through that process of, of writing that book is that you know leadership is as much about context as it is about the leader. Um, and, and leadership is very much about learning and understanding the context so that you can sort of complete the picture. You know, both of us probably, I mean, Joe started in Fall Creek right after I started at Kaniag. And so, uh, you know, there, there was a history there, right? There were stories there. There were um, innovative practices happening there in different, you know, different levels. Um, and so to, to be able to sort of insert ourselves within those communities and immerse ourselves in that in a way that we could learn while we're sharing, I think was ultimately one of our goals in writing that book. Um, and, and, and the other thing was, was sort of sharing possibilities and, and, and what is possible, right? And, and not that it has to be exactly the same way in every place. And, and things that worked at, at Fall Creek may not have been things that we tried at Canning Egg and vice versa, but I can tell you for sure, those conversations and those exchanges, and that went beyond Joe and I, um, really informed our practice. And so um, it's, it's, a, it's about seeing a challenge as an opportunity, like in terms of leadership. And, and that really came through, I think, a lot of it had to do with the context and, and having the support of communities that really allowed us the space to try things and, and to suggest things and to consider things. And of course, as you know, and as you communicated very clearly in, in your book, George, is it's all about relationships, right? And so if you have those at the core, then you can kind of accomplish a lot of different things. Yeah, and I actually remember uh, I, I, I met uh, one of Tony's parents at a, a keynote that I did. And yes. Tony, I think Tony couldn't come for some reason. I was in class. But she, she, she actually attended um, as a parent to learn, and that came a lot from uh, Tony's inspiration, right? So she wanted to see what educators are doing, and I think that we, we talk about communication with parents, but not necessarily empowering them and actually having them where they, they're not just, you know, bystanders of learning, but they're actually actively engaged so they understand why people are doing what they're doing, and she talked so wonderfully about you so I, I thought that was quite powerful when i met her thank you yeah that's lisa davis she was a PTA yeah. president active parent and and i think that was that piece was very important to us george engagement yeah everyone, right not just the parents but kids and staff so so one of the things that you guys talk about a lot in the book and that is really important to innovation and moving people forward is the culture and you guys give a lot of really great examples of what you've done and, you know, Joe at the district level and Tony at the school. And as we move to the district, um, can you share some of those examples and things that you've done to really establish that culture to allow people to really try new things and take risks? 
I think a, a couple of things that we do when it comes to like the like the everyday stuff. I think the first, you know, first and foremost, we talk about changing culture 30 seconds at a time and how every interaction, there's never a neutral interaction, right? Like people walk away from an interaction either feeling better or worse than they walked into it. Nobody walks away going, man. So, I mean, you really want to make sure that you take every opportunity to engage people so they walk away feeling better than uh, than they did when they were coming in. So um, that that's a big deal, you know. And I think a couple of things that we that we do that really have helped out, and, and things that we've gotten, and ideas that we've gotten from other people that have been wonderful, like writing, you know, starting the day with two positive notes to people, and actually getting up and moving and and taking these notes down to to people and make sure that they know that they're valued. And that that was a um, a suggestion from uh, the Deerfield School District, Jeff Zolin, uh, Deerfield. Uh, Illinois. Also, 100 calls on the 100th day of school. It was a really cool thing. So we could call, you know, 100 parents on the 100th day and talk to them. One of the things that's really important about that, though, that, that we really try to emphasize with people is when you make calls home to parents, don't call home and tell the parent that they have an awesome kid. Like, they already know that they have an awesome kid. Call home and tell the parent why their kid is awesome. Like, you know, I was in a third grade classroom today and I saw Aiden have, or reading a story with a third grade student. And that little third grade student looked up at Aiden like he was an absolute god. And that was really, really special. And I just wanted to say thank you for that. Some, you know, you need to be really, really specific about those pieces. So, you know, every interaction counts. We want to make sure that little snippets, you can't like do this whole, the whole come to Jesus thing where everybody comes in and you try to solve the problem. Like that doesn't build culture. That just solves an issue. So we want to bring people to a space where you, we don't have to want to have those because every interaction is counting throughout the course of the time. And I got one more I want to talk about, but I want Tony to talk first. I, I just wanted to say, I think, I think the one thing that Joe and I ended up having in common without even knowing each other was that we take the work incredibly seriously. We don't take ourselves that seriously. And I think that when you can model that type of mindset in, in, a, in a learning organization, it frees people of, of some of those confines that you create yourself, right? Because you think you have to be perfect or you have to be a certain way, but it's not about that, right? It's about a process. It's about iterations and knowing that you're not finite, right? Just because you're the superintendent, you're not done learning. Just because you're a principal, you're not done learning. Um, and so I think those two things, that, that notion of taking the work really seriously um, and not ourselves, um, but also putting the learning at the center of what we do and model that, you know, for, for our staff and for our kids. Like my kids at Candy Egg knew that I was doing my dissertation, my doctorate. They knew when I was, you know, away for a weekend in class and they knew when, when my, you know, when the thing got done and I graduated, I, I shared that journey with them because I wanted them to see, you know, their principal as a learner too. So I think that contributes sure. to culture. And I appreciate you sharing that because I, I don't think anyone takes Joe seriously. So. <laughs> they don't. That's right. No. So this, well, that's good. That's things good. That we did. You know, he's in agreement with most people. So uh, good. Good. Um, good. I, I want to ask yeah. Joe um, uh, one of the things I saw about the welcoming of the new principal. I, I really right, wanted right. to share that story because I thought that was amazingly powerful. So can I, I'm going to share it in two pieces because I think, because we did something this week, George, that's going to like floor you or hope it will. Cause it was really, really cool. So, um, so when we, when we hire people in fall Creek, we treat, you know, when we make the hire, we treat it like you got drafted by a professional team. Like you get the press conference, you get the podcast, you get the, the t-shirt and the hat and the big background and all that stuff. And we try to introduce you to the public before you actually get there. So we did it with our principal where we did this whole press conference thing and had our principal come up and answer a couple of questions, you know, just like it was, it was staged and everything, but it, people knew it. Right. And then we took a picture of that, of, of him and took a picture of his family and all gold cricket gear 
put that out to the community and 9,000 views and 300 likes before this guy stepped on campus, mm-hmm. people knew who he was and that, the, and that they wanted him to be there, which was a huge deal for us, right? But we do this with our hires. We make sure that they feel like that we're the place that they want to be. Like if they're ever going to get another offer from somebody, they're going to think back to when we made the offer. So this, it was this week, actually, we hired or we interviewed two people, right? And are two for two positions, a math position and a special ed position. And for both of them, one of the cool things about, about uh, what we do here is we always let the interview team offer the job to the candidate, right? So I'll call the interview, whoever's interviewing, and I'll say, you know, I, we, I have a couple more questions I want to ask you. So if you could come in, we'd really like that. So they come in and then I move them into like either a conference room or their classroom or wherever they're going to be. And when they walk in the room, their whole, the whole team is there that interviewed them and they offer the job to the candidate. So now you've got the candidate walking in and gets excited. You got the interview team who spent all that time making the right decision. They're empowered to do it. And so now you've got this big, happy, you know, mess. We give them the gear and all that stuff. But this week we actually did what we took it one step further and we videotaped it. So we've got a recording of that candidate saying yes on their first job, or this, it was their first job. No pressure, right? Yeah, right. So and, and and then so we video. So now they have, and, and I sent it to him. I asked him, "Is it okay if if uh, if I keep this? I'll delete it right in front of you right now. If you don't want it, I'll delete it right now. But if you want it, I'd love to share it with you because I think your family's going to love that. And then when they go, when we finalize the hire, and I can tell them you can send that out, then not only are they going to send it out. But guess who else is going to put it on their Facebook page? Their parents and their aunts, their uncles are going to send it out. And then our district is going to be in the center of all that stuff. It's a big deal because now they feel like they're part of something bigger. That's awesome. And, and they are part of something. You guys are changing how yeah. we bring people in and the, what, a, what a way to make people feel special. Needless to say, he did so. that for me when I collaborated with him, when I agreed. You <laughs> <laughs> think that that... I didn't get the news conference. <laughs> yes, that's not true. I got a picture of you with the hat, the umbrella. I got a picture of the whole thing. I gave you all kinds of stuff. You did come to Canning, I guess, true. You did. So, Tony, Tony um, and Joe, I really appreciate that because I think when you, like, one of the concepts, obviously, I talk about in my book, too, is the notion of empowerment and ownership, right? And I think that uh, that that is, like, you, you said it earlier, you know, talk about our school, and that is when they have that process. And I think that... Uh, I think it was Shelly Burgess last week said, you know, it's much harder to uh, tear a culture down that you've built. And I think that's, uh, that was powerful. Now, uh, Tony, I just, um, there's lots of, we can talk about from the book, but um, I want to talk about um, your new role and moving from principalship to, um, uh, to like a, is it a associate superintendent, assistant superintendent? Assistant. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's not assistant two. It's assistant superintendent. (laughs) Yes. It's not assistant two. Okay, so the uh, like one of the one of the big tenets of you know what I talk about is how we embrace change and what we do with these new opportunities. So can you talk a little bit about um, how you're you're kind of rethinking the role of what you're doing and, and what you're trying to do like in a brand new position? Like not only are you in a brand new position, you're trying to rethink on how that position is. Uh, let me tell you, it's been a very humbling experience <laughs> in a lot of ways, which is a good thing. And it, it kind of allowed me to reset. You know, I went from a space that I was in for eight years where I had amassed a lot of social capital through a lot of intentional relationship building to now going into a place where I didn't know anyone and I didn't really have relationships. Mm-hmm. But what was different this time around were that there were perceptions about me based on my tweets or based on my blog 
or based on my books. And so I had to kind of navigate that to, to sort of clarify that what I personally believed, although it would inform my professional practice, was not what I was going to step right in and do. You know, just because I'm not a fan of homework, it didn't mean that I was going to walk into the first principles meeting and be like, all right, we're doing away with homework. You know, let's, let's get rid of it. Because I have to recognize that within the context of this community, different things are regarded as, you know, priorities. Uh, different things are, are regarded as sort of unimportant. And I have to get a sense of that. And so I spent a lot of time um, initially just immersing myself in the community, speaking to the principals, speaking to teachers, visiting classrooms, talking to kids, talking to parents as much as, as that was an opportunity um, because I had, to know, I had to learn them as much as they had to learn me and probably even more so um, because my, my job was to support the learning and the teaching. And the only way that I could support the learning and the teaching is if I understood what it was, if people trusted that I valued where it was and that I wasn't just going to make change for the sake of change. Um, and so those are, those are like pretty tricky things to navigate because whether we realize it or want to, you know, accept it or not, there are perceptions layered over, you know, this is what he's going to do because this is what he's done before, or, you know, this is what he said. So this is what's going to happen. Um, and so to get people to understand, um, it's not about Tony Sinanis educational leader. It's about Tony Sinanis working within plain edge and being your assistant superintendent and serving your community and meeting you where you are and going from there together, you know? So it's actually a really interesting thing to think about. Like we talk about, um, how people like, you know, when you, when you go to a new community, when you're new somewhere, people are Googling you and that, you know, fear of change coming with a person that has like such a history online and, and sharing those things. And, and I appreciate you kind of talking about the idea and, and I'm, I'm really big, like, People know me for talking about change, but the idea is that, like, you have to start where people are at, not what you want them to, to do and, and understanding the, like, I, I hope that when I share ideas at a conference or, you know, when I'm working with a group, that they never carbon copy exactly what I say, because you the, the thing I always say is that, no, you know your kids better than I do, so you have to take some of these ideas and remix them for your own. And and I think that's that was a really that's a really important thing to share, Tony, because I think a lot of people look to make their name when they go in, and they'll change all these things. So as opposed to understanding and like build like your name, your name is built on how you connect with your community, right? I think that's what's that's really powerful. And, and, I, and I will say, actually, very early on, someone sat in my office and said, we know you're here to prove yourself. You know, you have to prove yourself. And I was kind of like, um, okay, I, I do, but I'm hoping that I prove myself as someone who's here to support this community, not here to make a name for Tony. I've already made my name, right? Like, my name was what they gave me, and <laughs> I've been blessed yeah. to have really positive experiences in different educational contexts. Um, but in Plain Edge, I'm just like everyone else, you know, and, and especially as a new guy, I'm even you know, in a totally different position. And so that, that was very insightful to me when, when someone sat at my desk and said it, you need to prove yourself. And I was like, oh, okay, let's think about that. Let's unpack that. So, Well, and Tony, I think something important that you said is you had a lot of social capital in your previous school that you built intentionally over eight years. Yeah. And so your acknowledgement that that takes time in, in a new place, you have to rebuild those relationships. You don't just come with your history and plop that into something else that now you're getting to know a new community. And I think that's huge. And it's so important for every time a teacher meets a new class, you know, yeah. whatever you did the year before, 
you have a new group of kids that you have to build a relationship with. Same with principals. Um, And I think that, you know, if we really believe that relationships are at the crux of everything we do, you intentionally have to build those everywhere you go. So I appreciate you acknowledging that and really highlighting that for everybody tonight. One of the things that's really important when it comes to like how, how that structure takes place is that we always think about things here as what happens if Joe goes away tomorrow, will the thing stay in place or will the new person come in and take over and, and like change the whole thing? The things that we feel the most comfortable, the most like passionate about here, like our, like our professional growth model, that's totally uh, staff run. And it's just like, we treat it, you know, those like genius hour for adults, that whole process, it, whoever, if, if I was to leave tomorrow and somebody else was to come in, that process isn't getting touched because that is embedded in what we do. The idea that we are learners at every level. And all we want people to do is wherever they're at, go get their, their A to their B, whatever that is, that is. So if I leave tomorrow, that process is totally embedded in what we do because it was completely staff driven from the beginning. Okay, let's, to right let's now. talk about that. Cause I don't know if that's true. And, 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 and I, and I do, I think this is like, like one of the things that we want to talk about is like real things. And I know that if you have, do you like, you really believe this? And I think this is a really important thing is that I think that you've done amazing things to build a culture, but I've also seen where someone new comes in who might not, you know, have the same vision as you tear that down, no matter how good it is. Right. Like, is that like, can Can you say something? How do you, how do you ensure that? Cause I think that a lot of people have felt that in their schools where they've had like a, a leader who set up the culture, everything's amazing. Someone comes in and just, like this, I don't want to say destroys, but totally changes the direction, right? Yeah. George, you said something a couple of years ago about Kenyak being like so the the, the the tweeting and the Instagram and the posting and the hashtag in our story was was I the singular voice behind that story? Mm-hmm. And it, it caused me to pause because I think a on some level I was like, oh shit, he's right. I might be. Um, and let's shoot. Um, Feel free to swear whenever you want, then that's great. Um, But the other piece was, no, no, it's not exactly accurate, but I know moving forward that I have to build capacity with intentionality of the people around me. So when when I left Caniag, our entire staff had bought into the value on some level of the work that I started modeling initially, but then became a norm because it was Mm -hmm. something that everyone valued. And I could tell you now that if you Google the Caniag hashtag, it is still thriving. It is still, you know, blooming. And and the new principal, you know, her name is Gina. She's amazing. She she embraced a lot of it, but she also gave the teachers a space to to let it manifest itself in the way that made sense to them. Um, but I will say that came as a conversation, as a result of a conversation with you. Um, and, and so I think if we are thoughtful about it and we make it a collective experience, there's ownership. And when there's ownership, that's the key to sustainability. And it, it's not about a person, but it's about a belief, right? It's a, it's, it's about a norm. And so that's all. Yeah. So George, George, I totally, I totally understand where you're coming from. And I, and I agree with you to a point, like, here's the thing. If this was Joe's initiative and I just like was the passion was coming from me, then it wouldn't last. Now, having said that, if somebody comes in and wants to wipe the whole thing out and this be autocratic across the board and take it all out, then yeah, they could. Would they get a fight? Absolutely, because the professional growth model that we put in place wasn't built by me. It was built by staff. 
So now it wasn't like, you know, like Joe put this together. It was like six staff members put a process together that worked for them. And I just supported that throughout the course of time. So I think that's where it comes in. Now, having said that, like, would people be, would the, would the next superintendent here be tweeting as much or doing as much of that? I don't know. I can't answer that question. Right. I can't answer the, I can't answer the growth model question because it wasn't me that drove it. It was, it was the, the culture of the building that drove it. And, and I think one of the, one of the comments my former superintendent said to me, and I, I, I think it really resonated with me is that like, if you're really good at leader, you will take all of the, the good things that were happening, you'll build upon what's happening, but you'll also see your, your fingerprints will still be in that school. You know what I mean? Like you, you, it's not run by you, but you can see some of the influence that's actually happening. And I, I, and I think that like, there, there's two ways that you look at it. There, there's the schools where there's been a leaders that just let you do whatever you want and, you know, they don't really care. And then someone comes in and throws people off. We're saying, well, actually we're going to try to move in this direction. And it's like, what? I can't, just do whatever I want, or there's ones that you've seen, and it's like it can be it can be scary for a lot of staff people. Like I know that um, a lot of people are terrified when they get a new leader because you know at some point you guys are going to go somewhere else, you're going to do something else, and we know this, and people will be scared. And one of the things that I always try to tell people is that the beautiful thing about when you go to a new place, you get a fresh start, but when you get a new leader everyone gets a fresh start and you, you start from zero again. And that's a really great opportunity to actually, you know, kind of build, um, you know, some people get like, you know, put in certain situations where they're not seen, you know, to be leadership material or that they can never teach this, but now you have a a different perspective. And I think that embracing that it it actually creates an opportunity, but it is, I think it's a, a fear of a lot of people is that when they build something together, that, it, it, one person in the right position could actually change things. So I appreciate you guys addressing that. So I have a question for both of you guys. Um, being at the district level and the district level superintendent, assistant superintendent has a lot of influence over what happens in schools, um, but are also somewhat separate. You know, Tony, I'm sure you see that moving from a school level. And um, so I'm curious what both of you think are kind of the, the most vital role of the district office leadership to influence or to support schools. Mm-hmm. You want to go first? Yeah. You want to go first? Or I'm going to go. <laughs> sorry, I'll, I'll go. Sorry. Well, first, the thing is, is making a decision. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> the, so I think that, like the thing that we want to make sure that we do from a district level perspective is understand that like the leadership isn't defined by the role at the same time. You want to make sure that you're, that, that, that you value where everybody's at when you get there. I think that, that was the biggest thing for me was just like, you can't just write in and say, this is what it's going to look like if you don't know where people are. So from a, from a district level perspective, I try to, you know, make sure that we empower people to do, you know, what they do. There's, there's, here's the, there's this whole mentality of if you just get up, got to get out of people's way, they're going to do, you know, like hire good people and get out of their way. And that's just not the way it works. Like you may want to, you got hire good people. Yeah. But then you support those good people in what they do and make sure that you're always, and Todd Whitaker says it to you, you always make your decisions based on your best people. So we make sure that, that as we're moving forward, that we're doing everything we can to support the people that are doing the right thing. And those people that are struggling, we want to make sure that we help them at the same time. You know, we want to move everybody forward. So we're, we're giving, you know, voice to the people that really want to move forward. And, and, and I will say through, you know, through Joe's modeling as, as a central office person who I sort of see as, as setting the bar pretty high. Um, I, I made it a point of, 
being in classrooms from day one. Because if I'm in charge of teaching and learning curriculum and instruction, I need to know what that looks like. I need to know what it looks like for kids, for teachers, for principals. And that is what's going to inform my practice. I'm not going to sit at a desk and, you know, buy a program. And I think, and even again, George, in your book, that idea of relationships, like it's not about stuff. It's about people. I can buy you the best stuff in the world. But like Joe just said, if you need support, it's not going to look like the best stuff in the world in your classroom. And if you're a superstar, it's going to look even better than I think it could look in your classroom. Mm -hmm. And recognizing that everyone has a different readiness level, and it's our responsibility to kind of meet them there. But we need to be present and engaged, right? You can't just be reachable via email. You can't just be, okay, I know he'll be at his desk, so I'm going to call there. It's got to be, I want him to come into my space. I want to share our learning community with this person. And so um, I, I I had to make sure that the, the district office wasn't the ivory tower. The district office was just made it a little bit harder to get into the buildings because my office wasn't in every building. So I had to get in my car to get there, but it wasn't going to change the fact that my practice was informed by the people who were doing the work that I needed to support. And I needed to, you know, remove the obstacles and get the resources and provide the professional development. The only way I could do that is if I know where we, where we are, not where I think we are, not where I want people to be, but where we are. Right. Well, and I appreciate and have, the, that. have the conversation about what it looks like yeah. because because like when you talk about the resources, the like we had a conversation with people at the beginning. We had two teachers, an eighth grade teacher and a fourth grade teacher that wanted to collaborate and do a project together. And they asked me if we if they could have two robotics kits, and they wanted to explore robotics as part of their passion project. Right. Well, that conversation after we started questioning, well, what are you really looking for? What are you really looking for? Help me. Let me help you turned into a global Sphero day where we live streamed, you know, a Sphero day with all of these kids with 50 Spheros and building chariots and connecting with uh, Brad Gustafson in Minnesota and his team because they had already done it. So not only do we take this conversation with two robotics kits to a completely different level, but now they have connections moving forward that they don't need me for anymore. Right. We just made the connection. Now they've got another team in Minnesota that they can connect with on a regular basis. And now the challenges can go between states. Yeah. Right. But it's needed to start with saying, where are you and what resources can we help you pro help provide you? But then ask the right questions moving forward. It's not just one question. What can I get for you? Right. It's what resources do you need? And I'm going to be back in two weeks. And we're going to talk about it again because I love this conversation and I love what you're doing. And I can't wait to talk about it again. I'll see you in two weeks. And Joe and Tony, I think both of you hit the nail on the head with that, that it's not about just telling people where to go or giving them more and more stuff to do things with. But I love that both of you are talking about helping people and supporting them. Too often I see leaders thinking that they're supporting teachers and they're empowering teachers by letting them do whatever they want. And a lot of times that means people stay where they are. And people who want to move will move, and people who want to stay where they are, stay where they are. And so I think strong leadership that is really moving people in that same direction, I think George mentioned that earlier, um, it, it takes the willingness to engage in some tough conversations and the willingness to come back two weeks later and find out what you're doing and what you need and push those conversations. Um, and too often we think that we're just going to let people go and they'll, they'll, do, whatever, they'll do great things. Um, so I appreciate you guys really pushing that and highlighting your role in that. The, the, the other thing, too, I, I think a lot of really good people leave because they feel they're not being mentored, that they've outgrown uh, because we just let them, you know, we just get out of their way. And I'm like, no, nah, that's like you got to push people, too. And I think that um, all people crave growth. And uh, I think I think Tony, Tony Robbins talks about that notion of like, 
that that's what leads to happiness is growth is that, you know, that you feel you're actually getting better. Um, the, the last thing we're going to talk about, and then we're going to dive in some of the, the questions from uh, innovators mindset is uh, both of you are <clears throat> very active in uh, classrooms. I know that you partake in there. And one of the things that I'm really adamant about is that you should not make decisions uh, it, about classrooms unless you spend time in the classrooms. And you see this all the time, you know, like I have IT directors saying, oh, it only takes two minutes to log in. Well, time's up by 30 kids, it changes things, right? And, and you should understand the, that the process of what's happening in the classrooms. Um, and, and like even even reading some of the, the, the Twitter chat, uh, someone mentioned a comment about not meeting their superintendent ever. And in my last school district, I met the superintendent and uh, like a 10,000 person uh, school district. I met my superintendent on the first day that I was hired there uh, and they came to congratulate me and I had a relationship with them like as most teachers do. And so how do you how do you find I don't know. I shouldn't say find time, but make time to ensure that you go into classrooms that you're not just observing teachers and students, but making sure that you're making decisions based on how you support your communities. You, you have to be intentional about it and you have to make it clear to the people you work with as well, because oftentimes I have found in my short time at central office, it's not even the teachers and the, and the, and the kids that are the, the roadblocks sometimes to get into classrooms. It's your colleagues who don't necessarily see through that lens and maybe recognize that as a, as a similar priority. They recognize it as important. Um, and so having those conversations. And I remember early on sitting with our central office administrative team and asking, you know, can we start meetings after 11 a.m. so I can get a good couple of hours in the morning to be in classrooms? And it's not going to happen every day, but, you know, can we think about that? And I think, you know, our superintendent fortunately was like, all right, let's talk about that. Let's let's you know, let's unpack that. Um, and so you have to be intentional about it, but you have to be clear about why you're doing it, right? It's not because you're, you know, staying out of your office or you're avoiding people. You're doing it because you need to understand what's going on. Uh, I can't make a decision about literacy instruction, I don't think, until I've actually lived literacy instruction. So last week I spent 40 minutes in a second grade cl classroom conferring with kids, conferring with teachers, taking a small group. I tried to be in the experience that our teachers were, were in so that I know what our next steps may be and what our kids need. And so you have to be intentional about it, I think. Um, just to kind of piggyback on that, I'm, I, I, I agree with everything that he had to say. But in addition to that, I don't think it stops with the classroom instruction. I think it means making sure you know what the custodians do, making sure that you know what the playground supervisors do, the kitchen, you know, staff and bus drivers and everything. Because if you're if you're if you're all in for everybody, you got to make time to to for all of those groups. And then you know, at, when I first started, that's not those aren't groups that I that I jumped in with right away. And I think if, you know, over a course of time, if you start having conversations with people about what that looks like, then you have a, then you have your your finger on the pulse of the entire organization, which is really important um, because sometimes yeah there are groups there will always be groups I shouldn't say it like that uh, historically there's there have been groups that just feel like they're not part of the organization because they do this and they're not part of the teaching staff or they're not the you know the paraprofessionals or whatever the case may be and you have to spend time with all of those people and one of the biggest things one of the best like movements from from our perspective has been these personal day giveaways where we take the you know we give the a personal day to um, to a staff member and then we take over for the staff member for that day I did it last year uh, with with um, with a 
with four people. And this year we did it with more just because my administrative staff said, oh, I want in. I want to do that, too. So we ended up, you know, doubling the number just because we had more, you know, we had more bodies to do that. That also came from uh, Deerfield, Illinois. They, had, they call it their Christmas presence uh, initiative, which I thought was really cool. And I do think it's also very important to recognize, and, and this is something George, uh, George, Joe and I have talked about, sorry, this idea that central office, I believe, has a limited impact on what happens in a classroom. It's, it's all about our teachers. It's all about our building leaders. And so, yes, while you might be the person to enact a, a, a policy or buy a program or whatever, the way it looks in the classroom, the way it unfolds, the way it impacts kids, it comes down to our teachers. And so we have to be there. We have to be engaged with them. We have to listen to them um, and, 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 and up the chain as well, the building leadership. Building leadership is like critical to anything that happens within a, in a school district. And so, yes, the superintendents, superintendent, they do a lot of work up here. They are looking at things globally and through a macro lens, but it's the micro piece that we need to be mindful of as well. But this one, second, Joe, or Tony, this is, uh, I, I don't know if I totally agree, and, I, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. The, so I kind of make the analogy that uh, when you have central office, because uh, I used to ref basketball, if you're a good ref, nobody notices you. Mm -hmm. But if you're a bad ref, everybody notices you. Mm -hmm. And it takes away from the game. And I, I think that, Part of that is like a lot of times when I talk to teachers, their central office makes a huge impact in their classroom sometimes. And like when they, when I hear it, it's never in a positive way. When I don't hear it, it when, when I don't hear about it, I know they made the central office has made a significant impact. Like they'll remove barriers that aren't like that. They can filter out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but if you're, if you're, if you're, Let's say you're taking on an initiative, right? Let's say you decided that you're going to go in a totally different direction with your math instruction or your literacy instruction. Yeah. And so the role of the super, whatever, the, the central office, I think, is, is to clarify that vision, to provide professional development, to get the resources, to, to do all that work. And so they do have a profound impact for sure. I don't, I don't disagree. Yeah. I wasn't suggesting that. But the way it looks after that, so the way it looks after you've made those decisions is really about teachers and about the, the building level leadership. Like I could tell you that a, that a you know reading lesson should look like X, Y, and Z, but I can't tell you for sure that every classroom teacher is doing X, Y, and Z. And I'm not suggesting that it's on the principal to know for sure. Or but but that's where the stuff happens. Like that's where things are enacted, and that's where things are impacting kids. And so I think so. Yeah, I, I do I do know that central office has an impact, but I think the people that are in the schools are the ones who are. And I, and I and I agree with you, but I also like I, I totally agree, and I think that's that's really important. But I but I've also seen like some people create stuff at their work because it's like they don't have enough work to do that will somehow get into your classroom right. and will take away from your opportunity. Right. And and I, like I, I maybe it's a horrible thing to say, but I'm like always be weary of someone who needs a problem for their job to exist. Yes, to exist because. They start looking for issues. They start looking for problems. And I think that really hampers, like, I think that uh, from knowing both of you, like, I, 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 the, the thing that I'll know, I can tell you about Tony and Joe is they'll never take credit for the work that they do, but they're wonderful at filtering stuff away so teachers can do those jobs. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important aspect is that they downplay some of the things that they're saying, but they're making sure that teachers can just teach. 
and do what they need to do. And I think that a lot of times we, like Shelly talked about last week and Beth talked about surveying teachers to death. And it's like, God, now I got to do this. I got to teach this. I got to do this. Yes. And, and I think that's like a really important aspect is that in your, both of your roles, you, you won't take credit, but I think that you filter a lot of stuff so you can do exactly what you're talking about. Tony is that yes. teachers can teach, let them, right. let them do their stuff. And like, sometimes they got to do it, but some, they, some do, they got to do some of the crappy admin stuff. But limit that as much as possible. Yes, that's yes, that's. And I think the way that I kind of heard Tony too, or took that is creating systems that empower people to do their work and do what's best for kids in their classrooms. And Mm -hmm. I think what George is alluding to is often central office, or sometimes they can create systems that just keep piling things on rather than facilitating the work, so teachers can do their best job in the classroom and have the resources and support to do that. Um, And I think that's a really important distinction that central office can either create more work and more hurdles and hoops, or you can really create opportunities for people to do their best work. So I think that that's, Oh, go ahead, Joe. I I was just going to say that. Yeah. And I think it's much easier if you, if, if you're very intentional about being visible, being present and engaged in the people's spaces, Mm -hmm. because a lot of people will be okay with the direction. If they know who you are as a person, if they just see an email from you with, Oh my goodness, now we got to take this survey and they don't know why or where it's coming from, then they're much likely to, to, to own that process. But if you've had conversations and if you've been in these people's classroom and if you've connected with their kids and you've talked to the parents about what a great opportunity their kids have in that classroom, in every conversation that you have, we often talk about like never give up the opportunity to say something great about your school. That's all part of this mm-hmm. because then when you have to, you, you build up this social capital. So when you need that survey, you, because you actually need it, not because it's something else to do, then you have people that will take it on because they know you're all in it together. Mm-hmm. Right. Hashtag emotional bank account. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to transition us guys into the innovators mindset and some of the questions to talk about the book that really connects nicely to your book and a lot of the work you're doing. Um, And one of the things that George talks about is um, that innovation is, it's not a skill set. It's not a list of things that people need to do, but it's about a mindset. So um, talk a little bit about, um, how you support this mindset shift in people and, um, you know, in the work that you're doing and what you see in your district that helps people make that shift. Joe, time to grab the book out of the garbage can. No, no, it's in the recycling bin. It's in the recycling bin. I, we recycle in Wisconsin, man. Come on, I, man. I, I actually just lent my copy to one of our principals, George. You should know. Because lies. Lies. This is such a lie. I can't, I can't believe you actually brought that up. Anyway, all right. So when it comes to... Just before you guys answer, just so you know, uh, Tony, you can actually buy extra copies, especially for... Oh, I know. They want to do it as a book study. She wanted to preview it. Okay, well, okay that's fair. I'll take it. I support it. So, I guess done now. Like, question, folks. Back to the question. Book sales anyway. Katie's right here. So, 
So uh, one of the, the biggest things when it came from our from our perspective in terms of empowering people to do that is actually like going through that, like talking to people about we did we did a lot of stuff with Genius Hour here like five four or five years ago. And one of the things that was really important to us with kids in Genius Hour was giving them the opportunity to really explore their passion, right? Because when you explore your passion, all the all the stuff comes out in terms of what you want to do and it's something you choose to do. When we started doing that with adults. And really valuing where they were and understanding that wherever their mindset is at that particular time, we have to value that piece. Because some of the people came up with these passion projects that were a passion to them. And I kind of looked at it going, get that done in a month. But you know what? My process is different than your process. Mm -hmm. So if you value that over time, now you're valuing their thought process. You're valuing their thinking and you're valuing their time. And when you value their time and you give them resource and opportunity to move it forward, then they're going to be thinking about this constantly. We talked about when we started this project, we said, when you go home and you sit on the couch and you explore something that you want to explore, what is it? And take that whole mentality or that subject area and let's move that into a passion project for what you want to do here. So when you're choosing to learn, what do you learn about? And then let's move it here. So that's kind of how we started the process. In, in regards to the work I can tell you that I've been doing of late in, in, in Plain Edge, two of the things that I'm excited about is that we've been and, and sort of anchored in this notion of mindset. We've been having a lot of discussions about um, process over product, right? The importance of immersing yourself in the process. And the impetus for that came from our writer's workshop and and how as, as educators, we look for perfection. Like we, we, we want the final product to be amazing so everyone can look at it and see it. And we kind of miss the opportunity that the process presents us where we can teach in to the learner and not worry about the product. So this notion of process over product has been a focal point for us. And this notion of teaching the reader, the writer, the mathematician, and not the writing or the math or the science. And those are, they sound like really minor shifts, but they're significant shifts in mindset because ultimately what you're doing is you're putting the learning at the center and, and the teaching at this sort of outer rim um, and, and, and supporting that learning. And that, that is hard work. But giving people the opportunity to discuss those things, I think, frees them of assumptions they're making about things they have to cover, things they have to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, no, I'm telling you, slow down. Let's talk about the process. Let's enjoy the process. Or let's think about this learner and what he or she needs. Um, and so that that shift in mindset has been a focal point, at least you know right now, for the work that we're doing in uh, Plain Edge, which is exciting but difficult, right? And recognizing that that takes time. The the and that's a shift that that's a shift that that uh, that George mentions a lot too. Like it's not about the stuff; it's about the thinking. And yeah. if you get people thinking about the converse, just having the conversation, then you're going to be in a much better place. Yeah. The the, the one of the things that like. I think that you have to be comfortable doing, and obviously you can kind of tell someone's like, oh, I love how George argues here, right? And I think that, because we're all doing this in the right, like for the right focus. We're all trying to figure out, like, how do we best serve our kids? And so we none of us take that personal, but I think that we have to sometimes challenge some of the things that we have got away with saying, like, well, I'm not really good with technology. I'm like, oh, so you're not good at learning. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, that's right. Way, that's exactly I'm right. not good at learning stuff. That's what you're saying is that you're just like no 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 person is innately born into a time where they just figure stuff out. Right. It's just they're more open to pressing buttons. You know the hey I don't have time for that. Oh, it's not a priority for you right now is what you're saying. So how do we get you to see it? Because there's never been a year at your schools that teachers didn't finish report cards, and so that that happens all the time. So you find time for what you make as priority, and I think that kind of getting people to reshift some of those statements where they can kind of get away from 
you know, like they use, they use it as excuses not to do things, but you just have to reframe it because I know some people get, um, one of the things that I'm proud of is that how many people I can get to sign up for Twitter in a day without ever saying sign up for Twitter. They just do it because there's some pressure in the room. There's some like rethinking different, like even making people put up their hands saying, how many of you are on Twitter and seeing the majority of people in the room and people are going, Oh my God, why am I not doing this? Right? Like what's behind. I think you have to create those situations where people are not always supported. Like we talk about supporting all the time, but you need to pressure people too, because there has to be some motivation to change. You can't just let people off the hook because then you lim- eliminate opportunities for their kids. And, and, and recognize totally that those, those things are coming from sort of self-imposed limitations. And, and, and a part of our job is to point out blind spots and to point out, yeah, you, you could try this and, and give people feedback through that process. I, I totally agree with you, George. And, and sometimes we shy away from those conversations because they're uncomfortable. So when someone says, you know, I, I don't know how to turn on the smart board, we might walk away and be like, okay, so those kids won't have a smart board. <laughs> but instead, we should be having a conversation about maybe someone else in the room knows how to turn on the smart you know, whatever. And so I think I think you're right. So One of the things that was really cool, when we, when we started this whole process, I took a – sorry. So, yeah, we had this – Good. We go. You, you want to go first because my story is not no, really that. No, go awesome. ahead. I'll, I'll follow up. So I, I was going to say. Anyway. To so when we were some more, Joe wants to refer to himself in third person more. When Joe leaves, yeah. good, good, good. So when we started this process, we I, I gave I went to a staff we, a staff meeting and I gave out a bunch of paper plates and I told I told these people in groups of five write down everything that's on your plate right now. Everything, everything. I'm going to give you a minute. Write down everything that's on your plate as a teacher. Right. Wasn't and it was my. For, yeah, right. Well, it was my first year. They kept writing, they writing, writing. And I said, look at your plate and see your numbers one through 25. Where are students on that plate? And nobody had them, right? Nobody had them higher than 10th on their list. Now, these are great people, right? But they had so much stuff going on that they couldn't even think about the most important piece of what was going on in their life, in their professional life, their students. So we talked now. Here's where the pressure comes in, George, though, because I said, you know, what can I do to take some of this stuff off your plate? And then we moved to what can we do differently? Right. So I'll help with taking some of the stuff off your plate. I can't take report cards off your plate. I can't take a couple of these things off your plate that we have to do. But what can we get off your plate so you can start doing things a little bit differently? So I'm doing my part to help. But then you're going to do your part to move forward. I love that. And I think that that piece about doing things differently has to be part of the conversation. We can't just say we want change. We want kids to be learning in different ways and keep doing things the same way. And I know George has talked a lot about this in the book and something that I really believe deeply in is that teachers create what they experience. And so when, when teachers, so, I mean, when we keep doing things to teachers the way we've always done them and expect them to do things differently in the classroom and expect them to do things differently for kids, um, it just doesn't happen that way. So both of you have talked tonight a little bit about experiences and you've talked about empowering educators and Joe, you talked a little bit about your professional development cycle, but I'm going to push you guys a little bit to talk more specifically. So like, what does that mean if you're empowering educators? What does it mean if you're allowing teachers to learn in different ways? Um, If we're really creating meaningful experiences for teachers that shift their thinking, that shift their um, experiences and really put them in a different place to think about teaching and learning in their classroom differently, what are some ways that, like, what are some tangible things that we can think about and take back to our own context? 
I think first and foremost, we need to give teachers time to collaborate. So if you do nothing else, you need to build time in that. That needs to be a structural thing that exists, whether it's, you know, common planning time at the elementary level or, or PLC time or faculty meetings, whatever it is, we need to give teachers time to have these conversations because they're not going to happen on the fly in the hallway. I mean, they happen there, but they're not going to happen at the depth that we want them to happen so that we can iterate and evolve beyond where we are. Um, I think it's also incredibly important to have conversations about, about our goals. Like, what is it that we want to do better? Better for kids, better for ourselves, and better for our community. And look at it through those three lenses and decide how you're going to work towards those goals and constantly be revisiting that. And that's something we did with our administrative team in Plain Edge, I could tell you. So, sorry. So, Tony, before Joe jumps in, because I see him jumping in. I'm ready. I'm ready. Right. Let's do this. I got it. I'm going to I'm going to push back a little bit on that because um, I, I believe that we need so much time for teachers. Yeah. However, I have seen teachers and I'm the biggest advocate for teachers. And I've seen this in schools. We can waste some serious time yeah. in collaboration yeah. Yeah. Um, because a lot of times teachers don't have um, the experience facilitating those conversations. C schools are not places where people readily push back against one another. And so um, I believe that when teachers collaborate and when they work together in effective ways, the best things can happen for kids. But just giving time doesn't always make that shift. So how can we help teachers to have some really powerful collaborations that make an impact on what's happening in the classroom? I, I do think you need to have certainly someone facilitating that potentially, at least to start, you know, whether it's a literacy coach, whether it's a building principal, whether it's a grade level leader, um, someone that does have that skill set, right, that, that could negotiate that. And recognizing that pushback happens when there's trust and mm -hmm. people trust that you're not attacking them on a personal level, but that you're in fact just discussing an issue or, you know, a flip side. I, I was talking to a colleague recently who's on a team and the, the team is struggling with this group of kids, right? It's that class, you know, this year, whatever. Um, and this one teacher is not having that same experience with the kids. She's, she's meeting them and watching them learn and grow when they're successfully engaged. And so when they meet, the conversations devolve into, oh, they're disrespectful, whatever. Yet when that was happening, they reached out to their building principal to say, hey, can you join us? Can you help frame this conversation? So we're focused on the solution. So we're focused on the next step as opposed to just being mired in that. You do have to validate that those problems exist and you need to give people time to voice those problems. But then it's like, all right, and, and there are protocols for that. I mean, you can find protocols that structure conversations as much as you want. And there are tuning protocols so you can take people through that process and fishbowl it. We're going to sit here in the middle and everyone else is going to sit around us and we're going to show you how you can have a conversation about that reading lesson and how it could better meet the needs of your kids because it did not this time, you know, that kind of thing. And so those things I think are important as well. Absolutely. Protocols are huge in providing that space for people to take risks in conversations. Yeah. Thanks. Joe, Joe, you're just dying here, right? I am. I'm going crazy, man, because I, I agree. With, I agree. I just want you to like, summarize. I just want you to summarize what Tony just said. I know. I like. I, I want to. And I agree with him. Like, I want to talk. <laughs> I agree with him to a point, but I think that there's another level to it. Two ears, one mouth, Joe, Tony or Joe. Two oh ears, God. one mouth, buddy. Oh my gosh, like I don't know. Right, listen right. first. So you're listening, but you're not hearing. Is that how it works? Right, right, you're not listening. Listening, but not hearing. So. I, I agree to a point, 
But I also think like when you're talking about, you know, we can waste a lot of time in collaboration. I think that people have to experience what, you know, they, ex they have to experience the process of, of the ownership first. And here's like one of the things that we really, we, we really kind of dive into is making sure that people have time, resource and opportunity moving forward. You want specific things that we're doing. You know, there are multiple days throughout the course of the year where, where people are working on their passion projects. The only agenda we have two, we have three, three professional development days throughout the course of the year where the only agenda item is lunch and you have to go like you have to be there right so you know but you have time to explore and then we set up our mentors for this process where they're available all day to connect with you but we're not walking around like doing the whole babysitting thing like what are you doing are you you know you know hanging out in your classroom at the same time we are we the first year we did that nobody came to us and talked to us every year since they, we have people in our office all the time just having conversations about what where they want to go. And once they once your staff experiences what ownership and learning really is, like honest ownership of it, where you're not blasting for what you're helping move them through the process and valuing where they are, then they can move that to student learning. They're not going to, I, I do believe that they're not going to they're not going to allow kids to experience and own their learning until they know what it feels like themselves. Mm -hmm. And once they do, and then not only once they do, they get a chance you actually can, you know, that they can, they can do it. But at the same time, you can then, if they're not doing it, then you go in and, and, and have the conversation. When we do our surveys at the end of the year about our professional growth model, we got last year, our survey said 94% of our staff, 94% agreed or strongly agreed that the process makes them a better teacher, right? So now we can go into a classroom and say, if they're not letting kids own their learning and you can have the conversation with that teacher in that, you know, you like our model, right? Where you own the learning. Well, what if kids felt that way, right? So now you can actually move that conversation because they've experienced what it feels like. The, the, the conversation that you guys are having, I think a really simple thing, um, cause I see a lot of comments on Twitter talking about the importance of time. Um, I actually remember, I think it was about five years ago, it was my first trip to Australia, and I spoke there, and they, uh, they, they told me, hey, like, we want you to talk, and then we're going to have a 30-minute break for, like, tea, and I'm like, 30-minute break? Like, I, like am I going to pee for 20 minutes? Like, what am I going to do here for this time, right? <laughs> like, no one, no, like, it was such a, it was such a unique thing that I had rarely seen in North America that you'd actually have a break in the morning that long. And what I noticed with them is that they were like, I had shared some ideas and then they were having break and they were actually talking about the conversations in some informal ways. And I think that sometimes we get too like over with, um, with time and those breaks Like those breaks are actually really good learning times too. When you just network, like a lot of people will say to you, you know, Oh, the best part of that conference was just the conversations in the hallway. And, and I, and I think that you, we don't, do that well enough on professional learning days because we're like, oh, we got to use our time so effectively and everything's got to be here too. And um, a, a thing that I've been doing a lot lately, um, I'll, I'll take a video with Twitter and a lot of you see me doing this. Uh, I'll do a video interview and then I'll say, okay, I'm going to give you like a 25-minute break. You do whatever you need to do. But within the 25 minutes, um, you need to do this Twitter video. You need to do a reflection. And if you have no idea what you're doing, it's not my problem. Figure it out. And, and I tell people that straight up. Like the one rule for this activity during the break is you are not allowed to ask me. That's the only rule. I will not help you. And I think what I'm trying to do there is that they learn to depend on one another or they figure out questions on their own, 
not going to the expert who they who they deem is to be the expert in the room, and that kind of goes to the notion that David. I think it's a uh, his name slipping me. The notion that the smartest person in the room is the room, and actually tapping in. But what I do is very intentional. Is I give them time to make that happen, and and the feeling and the power of them figuring out themselves is something that lasts with them as opposed to be step by step. And I think you have to throw out some of those times. And like I even give people prompts for things to discuss at their tables, and I distinctly tell them, if I walk by your table, please don't pretend that you're talking about what I asked you to talk about because that's so annoying to everybody. And I can totally tell you're doing it. Your professionals in the room. If you need to talk about something that's sticking with you, that obviously has to do with this topic, I know you'll do that, but we're going to come back to this at some point. And I think that treating professionals like professionals is one of the best collaboration tools that you, you do this, but you do have to create you know, compelling learning opportunities for them as well, but give them the time to discuss and not necessarily put everything in a framework where they're so constrained by it, just you know, let people kind of go. But also in that same space, recognize that you have some people who are introverts. Yeah. That their approach to collaboration looks very different than than what an extrovert might do in a, in a collaborative experience. And they need that, you know, that 30-minute that break you just talked about. They may need 20 of those minutes to really process this. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily they have to be isolated, but they process it in a different way. Um, and, and that has been eye-opening for me over the last couple of years in recognizing that some of the educators that I work with are introverts. And they... They don't collaborate in the same way, and what could almost look like being like not collaborative because they're sitting through a meeting in a different way is not at all that. You know, it's being it's being processed in a different way. And I think, and what you're saying, George, is is about that is giving people that time um, to 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 figure this out and how they can make it work right where where they find their entry point. So. And just on that, one thing, we just led a session, our team, last week with um, a bunch of educators, and and we were talking about what they were going to take back to their schools, but they had to create something as a group. So they had two hours to spend some time creating something after they had just learned a lot in the morning. And it was fascinating to watch educators who didn't know each other work in groups. So they were they selected groups of four or five, and they had a deadline. They had an exhibition that they had to present something to the entire conference. It was amazing. Um, but watching them get into those conversations, it was tense. And figuring out what they were going to work on, they didn't have like a final product. It was wide open. And there was some struggle. And I think we don't honor that struggle and collaboration enough. And, and educators, we try to put it in these boxes and we give kids tasks and labels and we say, this is your role and it's going to be nice and you get along with everybody. And collaboration isn't that clean and learning is messy and all of that needs to happen. And when we're not open about it, um, we don't always create those opportunities for kids. So I think the more that we can put educators in positions where they're truly collaborating with people for some authentic task, they can then um, engage in that process and and reflect and figure out how they can better support that at their own sites and for kids. Um, Because it's, it's not easy. We all struggle with it. So I think we just need to be more open and transparent about the work it takes. The, the one Katie's going to ask one more question that we're going to take viewer questions, but I just want to acknowledge a, a comment, Jim Win, Windage. I wanted to try and sorry, I'm saying I'm, Jim, I'm, I apologize if I'm saying your, your last name wrong. It says I want to type, try that type of break with my students time to discuss, but these tasks must be completed too. And that's kind of, I think what Katie alluded to earlier is that 
the hope is that you create that for professionals, you create that for teachers, and like, man, I'm gonna try that with my kids. Because that's the hope is that you experience it, you're more likely to recreate it. And Katie talks about that all the time. So I know Katie has one last question for the group. And then um, we're going to take any, if you have any questions for Joe, Tony, myself, or Katie, please tweet them out and I'll keep an eye on that. But okay, I'll let Katie uh, ask the last question. All right. It's a toss up. There's some good questions. Um, I, I came up with some good ones. So I guess the one that I'm interested, especially with you guys at the district level, um, measurement of growth and, and really looking at um, how we're defining success is um, nationally defined, but um, we're looking at some other approaches. So I guess the question, and it is towards the end of the book too, is how do you measure growth and innovation and how are you highlighting the process as Tony said earlier, but also really being able to show stakeholders that we are making progress towards our goals. You, you look at sustainability, I think. And so I think innovation is about how long it takes for something to become the new norm to become like a habit, almost like part of routine, not, not like a bad norm, not like where we're not being creative, but mm -hmm. it becomes a, a sustainable part of the fabric. I think, you know, so there are a lot of data points. We can look at a lot of numbers and we can look at test scores and all those things. Cause we do, because that's, you know, part of the, the federal and, and state mandates that exist. Um, but we know that there's a lot of soft data that we should be looking at as well. And we should be triangulating data, right? And looking at multiple data points to determine whether or not our kids are growing, our, our teachers are growing, our leaders are growing, our community is, is growing. Um, and, I, and I think sustainability is a big part of that. Um, and so, you know, as I, as I listened to both of you to speak, the thing that kept going through my mind is, you know, I think about inquiry-based learning or project-based learning and it's more about the inquiry than it is about the project or about the, the, the thing at the end. And, you know, um, it, it, it's, Something I think we should be thinking about as, as educators as well in the work that, that we do. Um, and that's another thing that I think you can you can measure in, in different ways. You can use rubrics and surveys and whatever, but um, but looking at the sustainability of something I think is is, is paramount. So we when we started this process a couple of years ago, you know, we were we were at a, a district that exceeded expectations from a state from the state testing level. And one of the things that we made sure that we told the community when we started was our test scores may, may dip a little bit. And because, you know, we're not all about the content, we can teach your kids a bunch of content and they can do great on the test, but are we creating test takers or are we creating learners? So we talked about like, what is it really, how is it important to create learners and inquiry based on what we're doing moving forward? And we feel like as we do that, that we're, the test scores will, will, will be fine moving forward. But we really want to talk about what does it take to create a learner, mm -hmm. not create a content regurgitator. So in doing that, it was really important for us to have that conversation with our school board, really, to say, you need to understand that this is a process and we got to be okay with the process because what we want to do is create authentic learning experiences for kids that really aren't based on what the test is going to have to say. And then in doing that, that, that's been a really good conversation. We're not nearly there yet, but then when we have like seniors in high school talking about how they think that they should have a capstone project to move forward and graduate, and then that it was the impetus to have a conversation with the principal and a couple of teachers about getting that moved into what we actually do, and now it's going to be a requirement at some point, like that's real voice for students there, talking about like what they think that we should be doing to make sure that they're better prepared for whatever happens when they get out of here. And the, and the thing that uh, is really hard is, I appreciate you sharing, is that we always talk about, 
you know, challenging when things don't work. But I think what's even harder is when challenging when things are perceived that they've worked, Mm -hmm. that challenging success, because uh, a lot of people have worked in those schools where the kids are amazing, you know, getting amazing grades, but they come from affluent communities and, you know, they have all of these advantages to them. And I've challenged teachers and said, if you really believe this is 100% because you're teaching, you should be able to go to any school in the world and be able to get those same results. And that, that's not a reality. And I think that you have to understand that. And uh, we have to, you know, where whatever community we're in, our focus is to help them grow as well. Is that not just that, uh, you know, let's do well in a test, but that these kids, that they, we give them every opportunity we can and, and help them become better, uh, you know, not only at learning, but as, as people as well. Uh, well, it was. Sorry, go, ahead. go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ahead. It was important for us to, to put that out there, honestly, George, because you know we we sent that to the community too. We sent that to the parents to say this is you know we we exceeded expectations from a state perspective. Hi, having said that, this score does not define us. Right. Nor will it define us if we fall off a little bit, because what we're going to do with your students over the course of the next couple of years is create learners as opposed to understanding like what this test is about. Right. right. And and once the parents saw that now, not only do, not only do the parents understand that, but guess who else does the teachers. So that gives them, you know, that gives them license to go out and risk take because they're not worried about what the score is going to be as much. Now, they still will because they've lived that for 15 to 20 years. But if we give them the license to say, the creative license to say, go risk take and see what happens, now we've got at least some momentum moving. Well, and I think the important part there is no vision statement that I've ever seen says that we want to create great test takers. Yeah. When we look at what we're assessing and what we're measuring and what we value in districts, are we overly emphasizing the tests and not really supporting people to develop the creative, complex thinkers, problem solvers, you know, all the learners, whatever we say in all of our vision statements, I think it's important to look at how are we actually measuring that and supporting people to get there that is not just narrowly focused on passing or doing well on a state test. Great. And no, and no like, as you said, no, none of them focus on test takers, but none of them focus on compliance and schools have traditionally been really good at that. There's never a time like, man, we are going to have the most compliant kids ever. Yeah. This is our vision, right? That's how we define success. So um, I'm going to uh, give you one question, and let's try to do shorter answers here. Okay, Joe? <laughs> I know, what are you talking about? Right. I got 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Pregnancy, man. I got this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this one to Tony. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> 30 seconds. So how can teachers advocate for their professional learning needs? So Think about in a situation where you're a teacher, maybe not in a situation where they have two phenomenal leaders like you. How can they advocate to meet their own professional learning needs? This is like Trivial Pursuit, the way you're looking at it. I'm, I'm trying to think. If you know, I'm thinking two things. You want some Jeopardy music? And so I'm thinking, how can teachers advocate for their professional learning needs and answer in the form of a question? Okay, so <laughs> what is a self-directed learner? So, nice, nice. Yes. So, don't talk anymore. Don't You cannot give that extra twenty-eight seconds to. Uh, <laughs> I won't. Okay. I'll take that. I want that. You can have it. But that, that's that's really what I kept thinking as you were as you were as you were building up with that question. I was like, I'm thinking about a self-directed learner because no one no one asked me what I wanted to learn as a principal because you talk about teachers learning. 
let's even talk about leadership and their learning because that happens even less. I, I took it upon myself to find my gaps. Again, not aware of every blind spot, but certainly aware of my gaps and, and try to fill them in with people like you all and, and others, you know, through, through those connections. And it doesn't have to be social media, but I, I, think, I think there's something to be said for a self-directed learner who capitalizes on like social learning theory, right? The idea that you learn from others through through interactions, like you said, and like Joe said. In the- uh, he's going over 30. I, going over 30. I was going to tell you to stop him. Yeah. <laughs> Done. <laughs> for the two. I was you you should have stopped when I told you. So, Gosh. okay, last one. This is what I think this one's for you, Joe. Uh, right. This is from Rebecca. See, none of the above. Answered in a question like I did, Cricket. Rebecca, (laughs) you talked about Genius Hour with your staff, right? You alluded to that, Joe? Yeah. Tell tell a little bit more about that process in 30 seconds less in the form of a question. Pick your passion. Anything that you want to learn, don't start with data. Start with your passion. So you're showing everybody that you're a learner. And then once you get your passion, we'll figure out how to measure it as we move forward. But you always start with your passion. If people want to know more about it, I'll, I'll post the link with the hashtag because we have a, our whole process is online for people to see. Mm. That wasn't was an informative question. Because yeah, uh, is it awesome? No. <laughs> so we had, we had six teachers that put it together. And I am so, I am so, I could not be more proud of them, honestly. Like, I am so proud of the fact that they pushed each other to make a process that worked for their staff. It's awesome. Okay. And now they're talking to people all over the place. All right. All right, Joe. <laughs> Joe, you, and, you and, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. Well, it, it is uh, – we, we've already gone over 17 minutes and NCAA basketball is starting. Not that I notice. Not that you – I couldn't, tell, either. I couldn't tell that you didn't notice. You're right. looking over there the whole time, George. Right. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So – um, I just want I want to honor people's commitments to watching the NCAA tonight. <laughs> so I think that's important. Um, I just want to first of all, I want to thank Joe and Tony. Uh, you know, if we had leaders that, you know, were like you all over, schools would be in much better shape. And I think teachers would be very happy. You can see by the comments uh, on Twitter and in the YouTube live chat. So thank you for taking the time, sharing your passions. And thank you, honestly, like just as a side note for being easy to like being brilliant and easy to work with. Cause I think that we don't, we don't do that. We don't do that enough. We don't do that enough where we can actually, where we can actually just have fun, right? Like that we can have these academic conversations, but just joke around too, because I think it makes it much more rewarding for everyone. Uh, I want to thank Valerie. Oh my God. I'm going to say her name. Valerie is a, She's been doing the. She's been curating all of your awesome content every week. Uh, I want to thank Tara Martin for uh, helping run the Twitter chat and and all the support she's have. Katie Martin, you're the best. Seriously, thank you for everything you do. Uh, I know Katie has got a boot a book in her at some point. And when yes. when we do um, when we do iMOOC again, I am hoping that there will be. Uh, release soon after because I'm going to keep pushing her to write a book because she is brilliant and I'm honored to work with you and I want to thank everyone for participating it's kind of sad that you know this is the last one for a little while uh, but I'm sure we're going to do it again and thanks for all the people that participated in the first iMOOC and came back to support other people uh, to actually do this and make it a much more rewarding experience this has been insanely easy for me because of all the awesome people that have done this. So I really want to thank everyone for taking part. Uh, Katie, you want to say anything before we shut down? 
just want to echo that, that the, the team, team has been amazing, amazing. All the people who have been working together um, and sharing, and just really proud of what people have done. And I look forward to your blogs this week of sharing what this process has meant. Look forward to you sharing what you've done as a result. And look forward to you being the people who continue to support change in your schools and your districts. And um, look forward to staying connected with everybody. And of course, thank you, um, Joe and Tony. You guys are awesome. It's been a fun conversation. And for George, thank you for inspiring everybody for creating this and for allowing everyone to come together and explore their own passions and, and just make an impact in schools. We appreciate it. Thank you. We're going to play a little boys and men on the way out. No, no. Say goodbye. No, no. Tony, do you believe that this, hey, do you believe this whole conversation started a couple years ago when we started Brand Ed? Amazing. And here we are today. I really thank you guys so much. We look forward to you. Uh, Keep the conversation going. We'll see you on Wednesday night. And thank you again. Thank you for all you do. Keep changing the world. Thank you. Go get it. Just me, myself, and I.